Today, the goal of this message is to get you and I to see what Peter saw. I'm gonna, I'm, we're going to go over the story where Peter first encounters Christ in terms of a lasting, life-changing, world-changing experience. And what I want to do is ask you and I to try to get our eyes, just like Peter, and I want you to try to see what it is Peter saw. Now, all of us, because of what we've seen, things have happened. Actions have followed. For me, when I saw my wife here, Patty, when we were first in college together and at your church together, I decided I wanted to marry her. I saw her. That's the woman I wanted to marry. Now, it wouldn't have done any good if 35 years later I was standing here telling you that I saw her, that I loved her, but I've kept it in my heart. And in fact, we never got married. We never talked to each other. We never did anything. You would say that would be a strange way to prove that you have uh, something happened in your heart. No, in fact, I can tell you, as a result of this, we now have children and too many grandchildren and uh, way too many son-in-laws. Uh, that's for sure. Uh, by the way, Nate is my son-in-law, just so you know. Um, now, so we are blessed because of something we saw change the way we are in the same way most of you know I was a policeman in my first career, and so as a policeman, early in my career, I saw this, and we have a good picture here just to show you here to remember back to those days. Uh, we have a picture here, and the reason I showed you this one is because I wanted you to know what would happen to anyone who doesn't laugh at my jokes this morning, okay? That's critical that we understand that. So anyway, there I am uh, back in the police days. And then uh, here you see me when I was working undercover. I had to grow long hair and everything. So here you go with the mullet. Do you like that, the mullet? Are you impressed? Impressed you wish you could have one. Well, you still can. There's still hope for you. Listen, at that time, I started working undercover. The reason is because I had seen on TV and I'd seen what other cops had done, and I wanted to be like them. So I saw it. It changed the whole direction of my life. I ended up working undercover for most of my career because that's what I really wanted to do. I chased a dream based on something I saw, an encounter. It changed me. In the same way, Peter's life and our lives eventually changed as a result of what we're going to read to you today. So let's open to Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of uh, Gennesaret, or the Sea of Galilee. Now, I want you to see something here. When you look at this passage, you guys have heard uh, different passages explained, and there are so many wonderful truths just in this passage where Peter encounters Jesus and he ends up fishing. You know the story. But what I really want you to see is the point of the passage is to present to you and I Jesus Christ. One day as Jesus was standing, he is the central figure here. The key to understanding the stories in the Gospels is to understand that we are getting to know Jesus Christ, and by that, we're getting to know God Almighty. Listen to what John MacArthur said about this. He said, when you look at Jesus in this simple fishing incident that occurred that day in Galilee, what you see here in Christ is the very essential character of God. You see divine truth, you see divine omniscience, you see divine power or omnipotence, you see divine holiness, you see divine mercy. Here then is the manifest nature of God visible in Jesus Christ. So I say that one doesn't need all four Gospels, one doesn't even need the full Gospel of Luke. 
one could, these verses are sufficient to indicate who Jesus really is. He must be God because he's a source of truth and omniscience and omnipotence, holiness and mercy. All these characteristics are manifest in Jesus. So now you're excited to hear the story. Am I right? All right, so let's read together. Luke 5, chapter 1 through 11. Here we, I mean, verse 1 through 11. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of uh, Gennesaret, the Sea of Galilee, with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. Now, just to get you the picture, Jesus has started his ministry. It's been going for several months. He's developed enough of a following that everywhere he goes, he gets a big crowd. Now, just imagine if I held a healing service here in Falls Church next week. I said we could heal everybody. But imagine not like the ones we see on TV, but I actually could. And I would heal you immediately, and I would heal you permanently. I bet I could get quite a crowd, huh? Right? That's exactly what was happening with Jesus. He was a miracle worker. He was amazing. And as he spoke that day, he had just moved to Capernaum where he ended up basing his ministry for the two and a half years or so of his ministry, his public ministry. He based in this little town. And this was a little town where Peter lived. He even lived in Peter's house there when he wasn't traveling. And so Jesus is here, and he's speaking, and the crowds are coming up on him, and he's by this little lake. So the water's there. Behind him are all the fishermen have been fishing all night, and they've got their nets out, and they're cleaning their nets. That's all happening behind him. The crowds are pushing. So he says to one of them, hey, Peter, can I jump in your boat? Now, they had already met. He said, can I jump in your boat and preach from the boat? So he jumped in the boat. He moved a little bit away from the people, and so this way he was able to project and preach the people. So let's read together. That's the setting, what we're looking at. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night. And haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I'll let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. Now, I want you to picture this a little bit different than what you've probably seen. If you've seen most examples of this story, you'll see the uh, one-man net. So there were different nets they used in fishing. There was the one-man net, which you've probably seen a lot, where they would throw it out and one person could pull it back in. But then the way these guys fish, and the word here for this net was a, was a bigger net. So you'd get two boats. One a long ways away, I mean a long ways away, uh, hundreds of feet away, and this boat would have one end of the net, and then the other net would pull all the way to my boat, and then as we go along in our boats, we would slowly be scooping up all the fish. So this is what's going on. This big, massive net is being pulled. So as it's being pulled, as it's being pulled, it hadn't worked all night, so they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. Makes sense, right? And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Here's what happened. Here's the encounter Peter had. When Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees. He said, go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. Now listen, there's a step-by-step -step process that happens in his relationship with Jesus, and it's very similar to your relationship with Jesus in your relationship with others. First, he saw him as a stranger the first time he saw him. Then he saw him as a rabbi. Then he saw him as a preacher. 
Then he saw him as a miracle worker. And then in this moment, he saw him as Lord, God, King, Messiah. This changed everything. This changed everything. He said, go away from me for I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were absolutely astonished. So were James, John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on shore. They left everything and they followed him. Now, with this story, as we begin to see things, there's a couple of things I want you to get. I want you to try to see what Peter saw. What Peter saw was not just a great teacher because he saw him preaching to the hundreds or thousands that were there around, gathered around. He saw that. That was remarkable to see. Then he not just saw him as a rabbi or as one who could gather, but then he sat in the boat and listened to Jesus preach live right next to Jesus. Now, here's what I want you to picture. You've encountered Jesus, most of you. Maybe you encountered him on your knees one time in college. Maybe you encountered him listening to a, a worship song. Maybe you encountered him listening to a sermon, maybe during your own devotional time, but you've encountered Jesus. Imagine this. Imagine encountering Jesus, sitting next to him, listening to him preach. Do you know that as he preached, he preached the eternal words of God? Like today, I'm doing my very best to execute and to explain to you 11 verses of it. But every word he says was scripture. Every word he said was filled with eternity and vastness. And, and here was Peter sitting, listening. And as he listened, he was in the shadow of his majesty. Peter's life was totally changed. His reaction was, he is astonished. Now, I want you to see that not only did Jesus talk, but Jesus acted. And so Jesus told them where to put the fish. The nets were... The nets were to, to go down right where he told them. He told them where to put the nets. Now, this was remarkable in and of itself because he could see through the water and knew exactly where to put the nets. Brothers and sisters, remember this. Jesus knows where to fish. Jesus knows right where to fish. That's why we tried to pray about what location City Light should be, what outreach place we should be in, what global place we should be in. We've gone around the world and visited all these places. What is it that God, where does he want us to put down the nets? Now, I've done a bunch of these mission trips around the world. Uh, different ones of you here been with me. I was thinking back to several of these, um, and they inspired some of the things we're doing as a church. Uh, my daughter, Kristen, married to Nate, she started out going on mission trips with us to Tijuana, Mexico. Now, in those days, I used to go to the red light district, and I would take with us kids. So we would take junior high and high school kids. And uh, I didn't have a lot of brains uh, back then. Uh, and so what I would do is we would say at night, we would go out to the red light district, and I would take these kids, and i say, kids, get in a, a single-file lane and follow me as we walk by strip bars, uh, prostitutes everywhere, and just pass them all a, a, a track sure it was impactful. I don't think they forgot it, the experience. Here's the beauty of it, though. When I went around, I was trying to work through my Spanish, and so I was trying to say, uh, do you want one? And instead, I kept saying to every girl, and they would laugh as I went by, and I didn't get it. I would say, yo quiero uno, yo quiero uno. And what I was saying was to every prostitute, I want one, I want one, I want one, instead of do you want one? This was not maybe the highlight of my missions experience. 
But the truth is, as I thought about our time there and what we were going to do, it was Jesus just pointing to me, here's where to fish, Dale. Here's where to fish. Here's where you should get involved. In the same way, brothers and sisters, we want to look even now as we think about branching out. We want to think about listening to Jesus so we know how to where to throw out the nets. I want you to note Peter's reaction to Jesus. He says, first, I am a sinful man. He immediately became aware of that as he saw this majesty. This is the reaction we have inside. This is what God does inside of our hearts. And then it ended with action. Now, remember that Peter, James, and John were the first three that he actually called. And remember that those three are always the closest all the way through his story. Peter, James, John. John being his very best friend. Now, without their encounter with Jesus, where would we be? Brothers and sisters, without your encounter with Jesus, where would you be? Without that, what we would have never heard of these Jewish fishermen. These men would have never changed our lives. If Peter hadn't been changed that day, if he hadn't encountered Christ, I can tell you, you would not be sitting here today. He's the one who first brought the gospel into the public view in Acts chapter 2. He is the one after Jesus died. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus didn't travel anywhere. He stayed in Israel. This was the move of reaching men and women came through. But it's the same for you. How many of you would be in jail without Jesus? How many of you would be hopeless without Christ? How many of you wish and you know that you could have ended up with HIV without Jesus? How many of you could have ended up without clarity in your life, without purpose, without a family, without your spouse, all because you encountered Jesus? It changed everything. So many of you in here are affected by this. You've been affected by Jesus, changed everything. My friend Russ is here. He helps us with our books. Here's a business guy. He has everything in front of him, could do whatever he wants, and what he wants to do with his life is encounter Christ because he wants to change his life and serve the Lord. What is it that happened with Adam in the back? Adam came to Christ a few years ago. While, we're, while in a gym, high, listening to a sermon, he came and encountered Christ, and as a result, he sits here today with us, wanting to serve the Lord more and more and more. And the stories go on, story after story around this room, because we have encountered Jesus. It changes everything. It changes everything. Now, these brothers, they left everything and they followed Jesus. It's the same for us. We lay down our comforts. We lay down our goals. We, I think of Brother Saul and Aggie here. They, he had a great career in um, government, unbelievable career. Uh, Deputy Secretary of uh, Housing and Urban Development. And yet now what he wants to do is dedicate his life to having other people encounter Christ. So he's putting that aside and saying, for the rest of my life, I just want to serve Jesus however I can. That's because he encountered Christ. That did not happen back in those days when he was in politics. It happened because he encountered Jesus and everything turned. Is that your story? Is that my story? Is that what happened to you? This is what happens when we encounter Christ. He goes from stranger, rabbi, preacher, miracle worker, and then he is Lord. Now, catch here that the rest of the crowd did not respond this, this way to Jesus. Only Peter, James, and John. Remember, it says they left everything and followed him. There were crowds so big that he, he was getting pushed into the water. And when Jesus preached the same sermon, they saw the same things. They saw the same miracle. And yet when Jesus walked away, only three followed him. Because only three truly encountered Christ. See a difference? 
they really encountered Jesus. Our church, this church, was formed by people who have seen Jesus. Nate Crew was not the guy who would lead this church 10 years ago. He was a goofy, uh, yeah, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I witnessed it. I witnessed it. <laughs> telling you. My daughter started dating him. I said, honey, we, I don't think it's going to work. I don't think it's the one. I don't, I don't think it's the one. I was thinking uh, we were on this trip to Costa Rica. She talked me into bringing the boyfriends with us. We were doing a mission trip, and so we were going to take two days for the family, like on the way, and spend two days in Costa Rica. So we did that, and then the girls all told me they wanted to bring their boyfriends with us. This was not my idea, but my wife uh, convinced me this was necessary. Anyway, Kristen wasn't so sure in Nate either, so we're getting ready to do this picture, this family photo here with everybody on the trip. And she told Nate he couldn't be in the picture because she wasn't sure where he was going to be. Am I lying? This is true, true story, true story. We were all, the jury was out. The jury was out still, but look at what happened. Listen, let me tell you something. What happened in Nate's life <clears throat> was not that Nate got smarter. What happened in Nate's life is certainly not that he, that he got excited about a mission. It wasn't that he had a certain job or a certain education. What happened in Nate's life that makes money is he encountered Christ. And I could tell you that from the, from the time he encountered Christ, there needed to be no doubt that he was best to marry my daughter. You see what I'm saying? That encounter with Jesus changes everything. That's what happened with Peter. That's what happened with James. That's what happened with John. That's what happened to many, many of you today. Brothers and sisters, we stand together as a church. We're attended by people here who have met and encountered Christ. As a result, our lives are changed. This wonderful story of Anna who goes here to church. She talks about being in these same hallways, going to high school here, ending up pregnant at 18 and feeling like her life was derailed. Now to come back to this same room in this same place where she ate lunch every day for four years and now knowing Christ Everything has changed. This room didn't change. They didn't repaint the walls. They didn't just change the people. Because she encountered Christ, this room turned into a church and a place she could meet Jesus. Amen. And that the excitement and the truth of what it is to encounter Christ. Think of the ways he's changed your life. Think of what he's done inside of you. Let me tell you. Let me tell you that together as a church, what happens in five months, what this church has been able to see. I want to encourage you that this is much like it was that day when Peter called the others to grab hold of the net. He needed James and John to be in the other boat and to grab the other side of the net or else the net would just fall. It wouldn't do any good. In the same way for you and I, what we're calling you today, those of you that have encountered Christ already, is we're throwing you the net and we're asking you to grab a piece. Just hold on to the net. That's all we need you to do. Some of you will hold on to the net by serving food here. <clears throat> we have about 50% of our congregation stays every Sunday to eat here together. 50%. That's extraordinary for churches. We need people who are going to grab the net there. We need people who are going to grab the net by um, talking to their friends about Christ. We need people that are willing to grab the net by uh, being the people that give to this church and make <clears throat> an impact for Christ that way. We need people who have encountered Christ to grab onto the net. So far in five months, let me just tell you some of what God has done.
we've seen 178 visitors come to this church. 178 visitors in five months. Just so you're clear, they were not invited here by Nate Crew or by John or by Taylor. They were invited here by people who had encountered Christ and wanted their friends and others to encounter Christ as well. 178 visitors have visited here. We have seen uh, over 100 people touched through deliveries. What we've started is a very simple ministry, very simple ministry. The schools here and the various elementary schools around here, they tell us of an urgent need that no one else can fix in the county. They can't get it through other churches. They can't get it solved through the local uh, 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 system we have in the county. But there's a list of things only someone else could do. If someone could just help these families, we say we're kind of your last option. But when you have that option, call us and we'll make a delivery. We won't just send it. We'll actually go with it. We'll tell. So let me just tell you about some of these. I got some great pictures here for you. Can we show some of those? How's this little girl here when we brought a winter coat to her with a Bible? This little five-year-old girl who barely speaks English. She just got here. How about this story of <clears throat> excuse me, of another little one uh, with uh, a mattress delivery. Let me see if we got that one. This one, this little boy here as well. The next one is this family was sleeping on the floor right here in Northern Virginia, sleeping on the floor as a family unable to afford a mattress. We supplied a mattress and some of the brothers here, James and others, delivered it as well. How about this little guy? Now he's uh, got Down syndrome. And while there are programs to help kids get glasses for school, the problem is for him, he needed unique glasses because of his condition and the way his head was shaped. So we invested $300 and now this little boy is happy this week because he has glasses where he can see the board again. It's a little boy, amen? Isn't that what we wanna be involved in, brothers and sisters? Isn't that what, there have been over 100 people reach this way. How about this elderly woman who we've been able to buy a washer and dryer for her so that she, in the midst of real suffering, her life is falling apart, no family, nobody to take care of her, and in the middle of everything else, her washer broke. I think we can fix a washer, amen? We can do that stuff. We can do that. We've spent over $100,000 in global and local outreach in five months. Brothers and sisters, that's a lot of money to give away. It could have been used on lights. It certainly could have been used on vehicles. We could have done bonuses for the pastors. But instead, they gave it away. Amen, brothers preaching there. How about uh, the exciting things that have happened internationally? Let me just tell you just real brief about this. We, in December, we raised money. One of the ways we decided to use our money was to help little children that through the local church in Philippines, uh, they were sickly little children that needed surgeries. And so we've had hundreds of these surgeries going on. We're in the midst of processes along lines. But I want you to see just one little video that'll show you one little girl who's had the surgery where she moved her feet so she couldn't walk. And now I want you to see what happened because of the investment you guys made. Let's see if we can watch this together. Look at you. <laughs> so good. Yeah. Amen. Anybody else happy about that? I'm happy that girl can walk. And if this church hadn't formed, if this wasn't here, if all of us weren't holding on to the net, we couldn't have made that difference. Listen, internationally, we don't know everything we should do. We want to be simple. We want to be clear. We want to be um, effective for Christ. 
We know two things for sure. We want to lead by nationals. We want to lead with those that are already there and those that are already uh, serving the Lord. We want to work with local pastors. Alex, brother, will you come up here? I want to tell you about a couple of these guys. First of all, I want to show you a picture of Ravi. I was talking to him this week. Ravi Sharma lives in Delhi, India. Ravi Sharma <clears throat> serves the Lord. He runs four churches there now. I visited and known him. He was a, a missionary friend of ours. Now, let me just give you an idea on the difference of investment here in terms of those of you thinking numbers. Let me just tell you this. Rabbi, you see here with his whole family, he is dying to move to Uttar Pradesh. And I say to him this week, why are you want to move to Uttar Pradesh? He says, the reason I got to move to Uttar Pradesh is because that's where all the persecution is. Uh, Rabbi, that might be the opposite of what you want to do. So he's worried because he drives his motorcycle. He has this little moped, throws his wife on the back, and they go four hours there, preach, and then they got to drive four hours back. I said, why are you doing that in the same day? Why don't you stay the night? He said, because we can't afford a hotel. But he wants to move there. He wants to move there so he can start more churches there. That's Rabbi Sharma. His entire budget for the month for his entire family and his ministry is 250 U.S. dollars. I think we could afford to help Rabbi be able to do his work. Amen? With me? How about this one, Carlos Montoya? Carlos Montoya is the brother I talked about in Mexico. <clears throat> now, I just want to give you just a little uh, thing. Many of you are going to get a chance. We're taking a mission trip to see him soon. I think we've got some in March, got some in the fall, and something this summer. So please sign up today to go with us. We do a weekend trip. You go to California, you go across the border, you see him, you get to see the ministry serve, and then you come back. This is a life-changing experience to meet Carlos. Carlos here is a brother who lives and works in Tijuana. He runs there a shelter that feeds 200 men a night. He runs an orphanage, runs a rehabilitation center, runs two churches, does a kid's ministry at the dump, runs a Bible school, and his entire budget for the entire year is $200,000. This is the kind of brother we want to invest in. My favorite and my wonderful brother, Alex. Come on up, Alex. Hey, do you have that microphone, uh, Nate? So this is Alex. <clears throat> now, Alex happens to be here from Uganda today, so everybody should welcome him here. <clears throat> Alex, Alex, Rabbi, Carlos had an encounter with Jesus. And they've been spending their lives trying to get more people to encounter Christ. They saw what Peter saw. Now, this brother here, when he was, he was 17 before he got his first pair of shoes. He grew up in the bush, as he calls it, in Uganda. But this brother now has served the Lord for 50 years. For 50 years. And let me tell you what the guy did with no shoes. I have visited, I have seen it. He runs an orphanage of 2,500 little orphans because of the HIV crisis. He has a Bible school. He has vocational centers. He has medical centers. He is currently uh, leading our work uh, among the poor through local churches. He has led a network of 30,000 churches across East Africa. He is known by the president of Uganda everywhere down to the waiter in the, in the, in the, in the, in the restaurant. You say, I'm with Alex Matala. It's Apostle Alex Matala. And he has a program that I want to tell you about as we think about what we want to do as a church, making lasting impact, having more people be able to encounter Christ. So we got a couple pictures of him here. Let's show the picture here. Alex as a young man in 1974 preaching the word. I think he looks pretty good, huh? In light of that, there he looks good there. There he is preaching. And there he is preaching. The next one shows a picture of him uh, doing local church work back then. Now, I want you to notice there's a bicycle in the picture, and then in this next picture, you're going to see, you're going to see Alex with bicycles. 
Now, Alex, what does a bicycle mean to you? How does that mean for your pastors? That kind of bicycles, you see they are different from yours here. Yours, you bend like this. You need those wide bicycles. A bicycle is the best tool for the younger evangelists and church planters who are willing to, to plant churches deep in the rural areas, in the bush. You can't go there with a car. You can't drive a car there, deep in the bush there. But this wonderful tool can take you there. So the program we have now there is between two. I give you a bicycle, and you give me a church. <laughs> and then you say, okay, give me a bicycle, and I'll give you a church. And it's okay, give me a church, and I'll give you a bicycle. <laughs> so each bicycle represents a local church planted somewhere deep, deep somewhere in our African villages. Those mm. of you who are from Africa, you know what I'm talking about. There are places where you can't go with your car, with your motorcycle. You have to have that tool. It's a great tool. As you see, there's a carrier. You know, you can take two because the Bible talks about two tools. You ride and then assist. Yeah, they, they throw two pastors on every bicycle. Then they go off into the bush and they plant a church. Now, Nate, we're going to commission you from now on. <laughs> Anybody throw in to get Nate a bike? Uh, I'm hoping that there will be something to start out of this. It took just a little bit more than a bike, but brothers and sisters, how much does a bike cost to give these pastors? A hundred dollars. A hundred U.S. dollars. In, in Uganda, where I come from. And you plant a church in Uganda. I want to invest my resource that God has given me with national brothers and sisters like Alex that can make this kind of a difference. As a church, that's how we see God moving through us. We want to trust these local pastors to do the work that only God can do through them. One of the ideas we just had over lunch, and I think you're with me on this, is we talked about up in the Sudanese refugee camps, right there on the border, there's all these brothers and sisters there who want to serve the Lord. They're dying to serve Christ. They're wanting to get out and serve him. But the problem is they need training. So Alex has a training school. So we're going to commit to bring in 15 of them down for two weeks. We're going to train them in the word, get them ready to serve, and then we're going to give them a bicycle as a graduation present. And that graduation present is going to represent them. Now, why in the refugee camp do they need a bicycle? How big are these refugee camps? Yes, yeah, sure. When people read about these camps, they think it is just like a stadium where people are just gathered. These are 15 miles. 15 miles, there are some of you here who have been there with me, like my friends there, they have been there. Uh, one of the smallest refugee camp is about seven, seven miles. Others are four, others are three, because people, we have very many. We have 1.4 million refugees, and the majority of them are from South Sudan. So we are talking about miles. If you're a pastor in that camp, you ride a bicycle two miles there, one mile this way, and, you know, it's not something small like this. Mm -hmm. So we really need bicycles there. Thank you very much, Alex. Does this encourage you? This is the kind of work we want to do. Amen? Well, let's encourage you. Thank, Thank you. you so much, Alex. <clears throat> I want you to catch one other thing here about this encounter Peter had with Jesus. 
Peter falls on his knees. He says, Jesus, I'm a sinful man. He says, go away from me. I'm not worthy. And guess what Jesus says to him? First words to him, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And what does Jesus do? He calls him to follow him. You and I encounter Christ. We think he's too holy. We're too sinful. We can't have anything to do with him. And Jesus is saying to this church, yes, we are a group of sinful people. We do have to come to that knowledge. No question about it. But hear what Jesus is saying to us today. He isn't saying, go away from me. I'm too holy for you. Instead, he's saying, City Light Church, each of us with our each of our lives, come with me. Grab a piece of the net and let's go fishing. And I'll make you as a church fishers of men. Let's pray together. Jesus. May we take our encounters with you, our individual encounters with you, Lord. May we take them, Lord Jesus, and move them into action. I pray, Lord Jesus, that through this church right here, we will reach hundreds of thousands of people locally and globally so that they also can encounter the Lord Jesus, our Savior. Oh, Lord, may it be no different what Peter experienced than what my brothers and sisters experience here in this room. I pray, Lord Jesus, for them as life is tough and when things are troubled at home. Oh, Lord, we need an encounter from Christ. Jesus, when the schedules are too busy to even breathe and amid it all, we need an encounter with Christ. We need you to meet us, Lord, in the devotional time. We need you to meet us while we're driving to work. We need you to meet us in the midst of the chaos. When things are hard at work and we don't know where they're going, Lord Jesus, we need an encounter with Christ. Jesus, we have nothing in this life do we control. Nothing. We can't. We can't fix it. We can't. We try to. We try to make it. But ultimately, Lord Jesus, we're dependent on you. So we look to you and we ask you, God, give us an encounter with Jesus. Empower us to change inside, and then as a result, may our actions change outside so that we make lasting impact with our lives, with our family, with our friends, and around the world together as a church for you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.